Now, as you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Dustin. Today's reading comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother with me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you here this morning. You know, if there was something in life that you wanted to learn how to do, it would be uh, good advice to find someone who happens to be an expert at that thing and ask them to teach you how to do it. So if you wanted to learn how to be a great basketball player, if you found Michael Jordan, you might ask him to teach you how to play basketball. Right? If you found Martha Stewart, you met Martha, you might ask her to teach you how to bake something. Um, you might ask David Blaine to teach you how to make something disappear, or maybe to make someone disappear, if that's, you know, what you need in life. Uh, if you met Jimi Hendrix, you'd have to get over the shock of the fact that he uh, came back from the grave. Um, but after that, you might ask him to teach you how to play guitar. Now, if you met Jesus... What is the question that you would ask him? What is the thing that you would have him teach you how to do? See, Jesus' disciples, his followers, gathered together with him all the time. They saw him do all these amazing things. And you can imagine that there's probably quite a great deal of things that they wanted Jesus to teach them how to do. Maybe you would ask Jesus to teach you how to feed the 5,000 with one kid's lunch, right? That might come useful at the next church potluck, something like that. Maybe you would ask Jesus to teach you how to walk on water. Maybe you'd ask Jesus to teach you how to heal diseases. Maybe you would ask Jesus to teach you how to turn water into wine. Don't judge me, Jesus did it, not me, right? But no, the disciples didn't ask any of those questions. Instead, what we see in Luke chapter 11, we'll be camped out today, is we see the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. This is the one thing that we have recorded in scripture where the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to do something. And they decided on prayer. So Luke chapter 11, verse one says this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So why this question? Why is this the thing that they wanted to learn how to do? 
Well, we'll explore that and we'll see how Jesus responded and how he taught his disciples to pray and how we can learn from that as well. But the thing that we need to see at the beginning of verse one is it says one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. So why did the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray? Well, first and foremost, because they saw Jesus modeling prayer. They saw that this was a regular part of his life. This was one of the spiritual habits that he had built into his daily routine, his normal routine. As a matter of fact, in the gospel accounts, we see 25 different times where the gospel writers talk about Jesus praying. And so we see Jesus praying in many ways, in many different forms, in many different places. He prays in public. He also goes to quiet places and prays. Jesus prays before meals. He prays before big decisions. Like in the Gospel of Luke, we see that before Jesus went out to, the, to, to call the 12 disciples, Jesus was in prayer. We see Jesus pray for the Father's will in the Garden of Gethsemane. And many of the miracles that Jesus does, we see him praying before and sometimes after these miracles. So before Jesus fed the 4,000, before he fed the 5,000, before he walked on water, before he healed a blind and deaf man, and before he raised Lazarus from the dead, all of these moments he was praying before these things happened. And so if you're the disciples and you're watching the life of Jesus, you're thinking, we need to learn how to do that. And for us, as we read the gospel accounts and we read what Jesus modeled for us, we should be thinking, we need to learn how to do that. And we need to be practicing this over and over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, in 1 Thessalonians, it says, pray without ceasing. We are called to be a people of prayer. And so we too come to the text today and we ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now, when we look at Jesus and we look at the prayers that he had and the time he spent in prayer, we see that he really modeled two different things. The first is that he modeled intimacy with the Father. His prayers show us intimacy with the Father. And so the disciples would have seen this. They would have seen that the the, the Son and the Father are closely connected and that time spent in prayer is relational time. Now, we just finished our Real Relationship series where we spent six weeks talking about real relationships. And three weeks ago, we talked about our relationship with God. And and it's important as we gather together in church, as we read God's word, that we remember that this isn't just about following a bunch of rules, but it's about building a relationship with the Father. This would have been something that was shocking to the disciples. Because when you start looking through the Old Testament, which was their knowledge of God, you see the only really special people seem to be able to be in the presence of God. Special people in special places at special times. That was their experience. And yet Jesus was modeling something different, something that they would have craved. Intimacy with the Father? That would have been shocking to them. I love the story in Esther where Queen Esther goes before the king, her husband, and yet she goes before him with fear and trembling. Because there was a rule that no one, not even the queen, could approach the king without being invited. And the consequence, if you did that, was death. Unless the king lowered his royal scepter before you, saying, yes, you are welcome before the throne. And so we see in Esther, that's what the king did. And yet we approach a greater throne, a greater king, the king of kings, and we do it with confidence and joy because God has already lowered the scepter to us and invited us to be present before the throne, to be in relationship with him. What an amazing blessing that is. 
What a gift from God prayer is. And so we should desire that intimacy, long to just be in relationship. And so even if we don't know the right words, just to be present with God and to speak to him should get us to spend that time in prayer. Now, I'll be honest, I think that the disciples were maybe more enticed by the second part of Jesus' prayers, that they would have seen that Jesus' prayers modeled power to build God's kingdom here and now. See, they looked and they saw all these many miracles that Jesus did. Again, many times in the gospel accounts, they saw Jesus praying right before these moments. And so I imagine they would have connected the dots and said that something about prayer leads to the miraculous happening. Something about prayer leads to God's kingdom being built in in amazing and impossible ways. And so for us who know God, who know that living hope that we just sang about, who want to proclaim that to the world, who want to see others come to know Jesus, who want to see others experience the hope and the love and the joy that can only be found in Christ. For us who want to be kingdom builders, we need to see that there is power in prayer. And this is what Jesus goes on to talk about. But first, he lays out some groundwork for what prayer looks like. And so in verse 2, we see this. And this is going to be a shorter version of the Lord's Prayer that many of us are familiar with. That one is found in Matthew. But here we get kind of a shorter version of it. So Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Now in this little section of prayer, what we're going to see is Jesus going back and forth between intimacy and power. Intimacy and power. And so right away he starts with intimacy. And this is really where we should start. That we remember for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High King. We come before the throne with confidence as children come before their father. And so Jesus is telling us, hey, remember who God is. Remember that relational peace, that he cares about you. He loves you deeply. He wants what's best for you. He knows what's best for you. He's going to lead you in what's best if you trust him. And so we come with that intimacy, saying, Father, and then we switch over to the power. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name, this is great is your name, holy is your name, set apart is your name. And so we're making sure that we keep the main thing the main thing, that God is king, that he is the head, that he is the Lord. And we're saying, God, it's not about our wills, it's not about our desires, it's about yours. It's not about us, it's about you. And so we're saying, great is your name. And so, well, yes, we want to see him as father and see that relational peace. We also want to see him in glory. We want to see him in power. We want to see his strength. Because then we know the full picture of him. So we approach him with reverence, but we approach him with confidence. And so both of these things work together. And we pray, God, your kingdom come. Because it's not about me, It's not about my will. It's not about my desires. It's about your kingdom. You know, I was challenged with this thought, uh, this question once. If someone said, hey, if if, if God said yes to all of your prayers from the last week, how different would the world be? Would there be souls that have been saved? Would there be diseases that have gone away? Would, would, Would people's lives be transformed? Or would you just have some blessed food? Right? If we make our prayers selfish and all about us, we're missing out on the opportunity to pray for God's kingdom to come. 
for his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven, here now as it is for all of eternity. And then it says, give us each day our daily bread. And again, there's power of provision here, but there's also intimacy. There's the Father who will provide for our needs. And so this is where we can come and we can offer our needs before the Father. And as he says, come and we come to the Father and say, give us this day our daily bread. I think of my kids who will run into my room in the morning and wake me up and say, Daddy, will, will you get us breakfast? And I say, no, go ask Mommy. <laughs> Just kidding, my kids are old enough. I tell them to go do it themselves. But the reality is, is that there's something very special about the kids coming and running in and, and, and wanting me to provide and wanting me to take care of them, knowing that I am willing to do that. And so there's intimacy here, but there's also power and there's trust that is happening as well. Because as we say, God, give us today our daily bread, as we lay down our needs, as we lay down our requests, as we lay down our desires before God, that's fine. But we also trust him and his plan. And so we trust that his provision might come in different ways. Like if I pray, God, give me today my daily bread, why well, know that he really has already done that because I know that I can go home and have a fridge full of food and, and, and there's plenty to eat for today. But for some, it may be, God, give us today our daily bread and we may understand that, hey, the cupboards are empty and we don't know where our next meal is coming from, but at the right moment, God will show up, with, bring someone to us who will provide what we need. And so it's okay to pray for your desires, but again, we are submitting ourselves to God's will, to his ways, trusting that his plan is better than ours. And then it says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And so again, there, there's power because only God can forgive sins. And we are rejoicing in the relationship that God freely extends to us. We are admitting our sins before him. We're admitting that we have sinned against a holy God, that we've rebelled against him, that we don't deserve relationship with him, but we're refocusing our eyes on Jesus, on the sacrifice he made, on the gift that he has been to us so that we can enter into relationship. But we're also asking for strength in our relationships with others. We're asking for the ability to love, to forgive, to accept the way God has called us to love, accept, and forgive. Because it's easy to say, God, forgive us as we forgive others. But that forgiving others thing is very hard to do at times. That loving others thing is very hard to do at times. I mean, we just finished our Real Relationship series. And those relationships are easy to talk about, but they're hard to live out. I don't know about you, but there were some Sundays where, you know, I'm preaching about these things. And then I go and immediately, like, fail, like, one hour after leaving church. Hopefully I'm not the only one. Well, maybe hopefully I am the only one in that, I guess. But, but the reality is that these things are hard. So we're asking for God's strength. We're saying, God, give us the strength to do what you've called us to do. We want to be kingdom builders. We want to live our lives glorifying you, doing the things that you want us to do. But we can't do that on our own. We need your spirit leading and guiding us, moving through us. And then it says, and lead us not into temptation. And so again, we are asking God to remove these temptations from us, to lead us out of them, and trusting that he cares enough about us that he will take us out of situations that are going to pull us astray from him. And so Jesus gives this, this groundwork, and, and I want you to pay attention to things that he doesn't say. Right? The disciples say, teach us to pray, and Jesus doesn't say, okay, here's what you're going to do. Bow your head and close your eyes and fold your hands and lay them in your lap. These things are 
are, are, are helpful at times, but these postures or places or times that we pray, these things can change. Jesus doesn't say, hey, wait till Sunday and then go to church and then pray. No, he teaches them these words that they can say at any time. So he gives them this structure that they can use, that we can use to increase our prayer life. And so there are many different places we can pray. We can pray anywhere we go. We can pray at any time, any moment of the day. And we can pray with many different postures. Now, the reason we close our eyes often is to push aside distractions so that we're focused on God. The reason we bow our heads is because we are bowing our heads in reverence before him. But we can pray while we're sitting down. We can pray while we're standing up. One of the things that I've found joy in lately is taking prayer walks. One of the things I love to do when I come to work is to spend 10, 15 minutes um, just walking around the church campus and praying over our buildings, over our people, over events, over different ministries. I mean, honestly, I would encourage you, if you have time, just come to the church sometime and just do a prayer walk around the church, praying over everything that happens on our campus. But do prayer walks around your community, praying for your neighborhoods, praying for your families, praying for your friends. And so the posture doesn't matter as much. We can fall on our knees in, in, in humility before God. David, King David, would even fall on, on his face, prostrate before the Lord, just completely saying, hey, I am, I am nothing but the dust of the ground, and God, I need you to move. And so there are many different postures, places, times that we can pray, but all of this should lead us to a desire to pray without ceasing, to pray consistently. And so Jesus gives them this structure, and then immediately he follows it up with some, uh, some stories about the importance of prayer. And it's kind of interesting because they just asked him to teach them how to pray, and he sort of gives them that outline, and then he says, now let me tell you how powerful prayer is. And they're like, yeah, Jesus... We know that's why we asked you to teach us. But he wants to make sure it is ingrained in their hearts and hopefully it's ingrained in our hearts as well. Because many of us, we know that prayer is important. We know generally how to pray and yet we still push it off as something we do just before meals or maybe at, at nighttime or maybe on a Sunday. But it's something that happens more rarely than consistently. And so Jesus is trying to draw our hearts to prayer and to the significance of prayer. So it says in verse 5, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and, his children, and, and my children and I are in, are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Listen, if a friend comes to me at midnight to ask me to borrow some bread, that friendship is probably not going to last very long, right? Like, and this is the way we should feel in this story. The point is, this is a ridiculous thing to happen, that this friend goes to someone's house and, and he knocks on his door at midnight and he says, hey, some other friend has come and I'm not prepared for him, so can you lend me some bread? It's like, that's insane. You don't do that. And that's the point of the story. But here's what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, he might throw it at you, but he's going to give it to you. And so Jesus is talking about prayer, and he shares this story, and he says, it's because of the shameless audacity of this man 
that someone responds and he receives what he needs. And so Jesus is telling us to pray with shameless audacity. Do you feel like you pray audacious prayers with no shame involved in that? This is something that I struggle with and I have for many years. For so long, my prayers are very basic. They're very simple. They're very small. And I don't know if down deep in my heart, I'm just trying to let God off the hook or I don't really trust that he's going to respond. But my prayers would be something like this. I'd be on a Saturday night and I'd you know, be praying over our church and, um, and, and would just pray something more like, well, God, just let at least two people show up to church tomorrow and uh, you know, let the, the, the lights turn on. Why is that even a prayer? Like I can flip the lights on myself and two people will probably accidentally show up to church. Like we don't really need God to move for that to happen. That's like just praying against worst case scenario. But God says pray with a shameless audacity. Pray big prayers. Pray powerful prayers because we have a big and powerful God. And so our prayers should match our faith which should match who we believe God really is. You know, the thing about prayer is that there are times where even though it doesn't make any sense, there are times where God has decided to wait to move until his people pray. And so maybe there are some things that you want to see God move in. Maybe there are some, some miracles that you need to happen that you are hoping that will happen, that you don't believe that will happen, that God is just saying, if you just prayed, if you just spent time in prayer, if you just ask, I will respond. That's what he's saying in these next verses. It says in verse, in verse uh, eight, 9, sorry, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is listening to our prayers? Do you believe that he will respond to our prayers? Because Jesus is saying, God is ready. And he's just waiting on you to come, to ask, to seek, to knock. And when you do, he will respond. But for whatever reason, God has chosen to wait for our prayers for certain things to happen. And so we need to be a people of prayer. Praying big, powerful, audacious prayers. Shamelessly doing it. Trusting God to do things that don't make any sense. Trusting God to do miracles. What if we prayed some shameless, audacious prayers for our church? You know, in the book of Acts, it says that on the day of Pentecost, there were thousands of people that were baptized in a single day, that came to know Jesus in a single day and were baptized. What if we prayed for something like that to happen here at Christ Community Church? That something would happen that people would come just craving the word of God. What if we prayed that our building quickly became too small? Because there were too many people who wanted to get in to hear what, what the word of God has to say. Who wanted to get in to just worship and to be present with God. What if we prayed that over our youth and, and children's buildings? What if we prayed that our students and our kids would have an amazing impact on this world? 
that they wouldn't be swayed by the things of this world, but that they would be the influencers on their school campuses. I mean, what if we prayed that every school that one of our kids attended suddenly started seeing more and more people give their lives to Christ because of the impact that our students had on them? What if we started praying for boldness and power to go into our neighborhoods and our communities and all of a sudden we see that every neighborhood that we are a part of is being impacted for Jesus? What if we pray for unity for our church like Jesus prayed for? That we wouldn't be caught up in these things that divide but we would be united and as people walk through the doors they would see something that just didn't make any sense. They would see a love that can't be explained. They would look and say, wait, so, so everyone just takes care of one another and loves one another and supports one another and there's no needs and, and, and people are being healed and all these different things are happening because you guys are just loving and taking care of each other? What if we pray for God to do something miraculous here at Christ Community Church, here in Carmichael, here in California, here in the United States, here in our world? You know what's crazy to me? Is there are people who have given up on God. Now, they don't know that they've given up on God. But there are people who, who have given up on God's ability to do some work in their lives. Who have given up on God's ability to do some work at their place of work, at their schools, in our church in our state, in our country, in our world. I mean, we see this all the time. The people are just thinking, ah, it's too far gone. Really? You don't think God can do something? But we need to be a people of prayer, praying big prayers to a big God. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 13. It says, which of you fathers, if you... Sorry, verse 11. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This right here is the most important prayer that we will ever pray. It is Jesus reminding us of the love that he has for us. He said, hey, think about an earthly father who gives a good gift or who at least can give a not bad gift. And he said, if that can happen in your earthly relationships, think about how much more God can do. Who loves you more than any other person possibly can. Who loves you more than you could possibly love yourself. And he has what's best in mind for you. And he says, so when you come and you ask for the most important gift, the greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, through the work that he did, God is ready to respond with a yes and amen. It is finished. It is done. And so he's saying, come and, and ask for me. Seek me out. Knock on the door and the door will be open to you. And the Holy Spirit will enter your life and lead and guide you in everything that you do. And then as followers of Christ, we trust the Spirit to lead us in our prayers, to lead us in the work that God has in store for us. So we say, God, we want to be kingdom builders. So Spirit, lead us and guide us to building your kingdom so that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. 
We are praying for God to move, for his kingdom to be built in our lives individually, in our families, in our church, in our communities, in our city, in our state, in our country, and in our world. And we are trusting that the God of miracles, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, can do something unexpected. So we pray with shameless audacity. We ask, we seek, we knock, because we know that God will answer and that he can do things that can't be done without him. So church, we need to be a church of prayer, a people of prayer. So let's pray together right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before your throne, to speak freely with you, to offer our lives and our hearts and our wills and our desires to you. God, we submit all those things to you. We look to you as the head of our lives, the head of our church, the king of our world, to lead and to guide. God, thank you that you have adopted us into your family, that you call us sons and daughters, that you desire a relationship with us. Help us to desire that relationship with you as well, to know how good and loving and wonderful you are. But God, also remind us of your power and your might and your strength so that we would seek you out to build your kingdom, that we would ask you to do the impossible, that we would ask you to do miracles, to do the unexpected. God, let our prayers not be small and insignificant, but let us pray with shameless audacity, trusting in your power and your strength and your love. So God, we pray for miracles for our people, for our families, for our church, for our world, that you would show up and you would move and you would do what only you can do. So God, we pray that you would build your kingdom here and now, that your will would be done here on earth, here in Carmichael, here at Christ Community Church, here in each and every one of our lives as it is in heaven. We love you, Father, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.